0: On being is brought to you by the John Templeton Foundation. The Templeton Foundation supports academic research and civil dialogue on the deepest, most perplexing questions facing humankind. Who are we? Why are we here? And where are we going? To learn more, please visit templeton.org. The Templeton Foundation. Stay curious.
1: Swing low Sweet chariot Coming for to carry me home Swing low Sweet chariot I said it's coming for to carry me home well, I looked,
0: oh, this hour, an exuberant experience of conversation and singing the spirituals. There are nearly 5,000 spirituals in existence. Their organizing concept is not the melody of Europe, but the rhythm of Africa. They were composed by slaves, bards whose names we will never know, and yet gave rise to gospel, jazz, blues, and hip-hop. Joe Carter lived and breathed the universal appeal and the hidden stories, meanings, and hope in what were originally called sorrow songs.
1: What we're talking about is human suffering and how do we survive when the worst happens? What are the mechanisms? I can sing Motherless Child in Siberia. They know what it means. They've been through hell. I can go to Scotland and Ireland and Wales and sing these they understand the sentiments. The songs have become symbolic, I think, of that universal quest for freedom, that yearning for freedom, and that part of us that says, I will not be defeated.
0: I'm Krista Tippett and this is on Being. Home, oh
1: swing low, sweet chariot. Oh, it's coming. For to carry
0: me this was one of our first weekly shows, and it's still one of our most beloved. Joe Carter remained relatively unknown through his death in June 2006, but he performed for more than 25 years in opera and musical theater, and he portrayed Paul Robeson in a one-man musical. I spoke with him in a music recording studio in 2003 with his pianist Tom West nearby for whenever Joe might feel called to burst into song. Tell me what you think of when I ask the question about how this music played a role in your earliest religious life, and what songs uh, or what song comes into your mind first, you know, and why.
1: It takes me back to my childhood in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and um, my church, which was Union Baptist Church, uh, the main black church in Cambridge at the time, We didn't have spirituals in the church, and we didn't have African-American gospel music. It was a period of time when I think um, there were a lot of African-Americans who were saying, we're not connecting to our history. We want to show everyone that we can be integrated. So we were singing European anthems. So I never heard it in my church except when there was a baptism. And when the preacher would go into the baptismal pool and he'd come out, he'd immediately begin to sing everybody sing amen amen hallelujah amen 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 there was no pipe organ no piano he was just singing a cappella and the church would begin to rock and as a <laughs> child i remember wow what is that there's something special about that song about that music and i was always excited whenever I got a chance to hear it, but I didn't hear it very often in my church. And another time that I heard it was on recordings. We had an old, scratchy, um, I think it was a 78 recording, and it was a choir called the Wings Over Jordan Choir, and they were uh, an African-American radio choir in the early days, and it was something that we didn't hear very often. They were spirituals. Whenever we played this record, it was almost... A total hush in the room, Mm -hmm. in the family, because it was the story of Mary McLeod Bethune, who was a relative of, of ours, and it tells about how this little girl was the first one born free in her family, how she wanted to learn to read and write, and in the background you'd hear the Wings Over Jordan Choir singing spirituals. So somehow, it was during those experiences I realized there was something very special about this music that was different than, than jazz, blues, and rock and roll, which we played on the record player, or even some of the gospel songs. This was something that was, that was even more powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think I had um, I, I developed a real desire um, to learn about it.
0: So tell me, what years are we talking about? When were you, when were you born? When were you growing up?
1: I was born in 1949. Okay. So I was a child of the 50s and the 60s. And um, then the Civil Rights Movement came along, and then everyone was singing spirituals. <laughs> and in Cambridge, we had all the folk singers. And when I was 15 years old, I, I got into um, a folk singing duo with my best friend at the time, with David Ledvin, who's Jewish. And David told me, um, Joe, your people have wonderful music. And, and this was the first time some, I'd ever heard someone say that. And so he wanted to come to my church to hear the music. So he came to Union Baptist Church on a Sunday morning and heard Bach. He said, Joe, that ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I began to search for places that I could share this music with David and hear it myself. And so we would go um, into the ghetto in Boston, and we'd go around little storefront churches, and we'd this is it, this is it. You hear the tambourines beating and the people. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, there's so much I want to pursue here. It's, it, first of all, it's very intriguing to me that you started on that journey with a Jewish friend because I think so many of the stories that the spirituals captured came from the Absolutely. Hebrew Bible, the yeah. story of yeah. the Exodus. Yeah. And
1: uh-huh. we had a folk singing duo, David and I, called the Diddy Rambic Duo. <laughs> and we sang, you know, This Train Don't Carry No Gamblers, and some of these songs that were popular in the 60s. And yeah. that, was, uh, that was kind of a beginning.
0: Tell me what your family's connection was with the world in which the spirituals um, were created, which was the world of of black slavery.
1: And I think it's only as an adult I really began to understand that because my parents were very careful not to talk about their pains Mm -hmm. and the things that the ancestors went through because they didn't want us to grow up with so-called a chip on our shoulders. They wanted us to be free and to realize that Prejudice was an evil thing, and we must not let it be found in us. But later, I realized my grandparents were born right after slavery. So all of my grand, great-grandparents were born slaves. My grandparents grew up on the plantation. My parents as children were on the plantation as mm. sharecroppers mm. and moved to the north mainly to flee the persecution of racism and brought us to a place that was an international community. And every once in a while, I would hear my mother or my father singing a little song very quietly. They wouldn't sing openly. Or my grandparents. And I'd say, what's that song? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> you know?
0: Do you think that these were songs that, you know, that they really carried around inside them? Maybe they yeah, didn't, they, they were. weren't consciously humming them? or
1: I think they, they heard them from their parents and their grandparents, and they, they just were songs that they sang for comfort,
0: mm-hmm. you know? So I think, and it was only as I, as I prepared to speak with you, that we celebrate this music now, right? Mm-hmm. American culture as a whole celebrates this yep. music. We don't think very hard or very often about where they came from and how that is speaking to us also through this music. Um, and it was also as I started to prepare this that, you know, this question that James Weldon Johnson raises in that in the book that you gave me from mm-hmm. 1925, a book of spirituals, you know, about who wrote this music, the, that there must have been barred, that there were that there were great artists at work. I mean, I'm wondering, did any is there folklore around that um, that came down to you through your family or is there a memory of that or, you know, what do you think or what have you learned?
1: Well, I I discovered a few things as a a, a teenager. um, I met a woman by the name of Jessie Anthony, who was, I think, she was over 80 when I met her, and somehow um, she was coming to our church, and uh, we young people would go to her house to collect her to bring her to church and so on. Well, here was an African-American woman whose parents were slaves Mm -hmm. in Virginia, and she sang the spirituals. And she'd heard me sing in church, so she she just sort of took me under her wing, and she was going to teach me these songs. And she had a suitcase full of stories um, that she had collected over the years of the spirituals. And she would tell me, she'd say, child, when they sang this song, this is what they were talking about, you know? Oh. A lot of people don't know this. And she had stories for every song. Okay,
0: tell me a story.
1: One of the stories I seem to remember that she told, it was about... Emancipation Day had come, and there was a group of former slaves now on an island off the coast of South Carolina, and my parents were from South Carolina, all my family. And uh, they were waiting for the emissary of the government to arrive in his little boat to tell them that they had received the deeds to their land, because the government had promised them not only freedom, but 40 acres and a mule. And so this was going to be a great, wonderful day. And the former slaves had gathered together on the island waiting um, with bated breath. And finally, they saw the boat of the officer approaching. And they could tell even from the distance that his face was not happy and his countenance was somewhat sad. And they said there was a groan that just came from the crowd. And one of the older women from the crowd just stood up and began to make up a song on the spot. Let me show you what that song is? Yeah, I do. I'll go to the piano. Okay. she sang. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory And then she spoke looking to the people around her she said sometimes I'm up sometimes I'm down oh yes Lord sometimes I'm almost level to the ground oh yes Lord oh nobody knows the trouble I've seen nobody knows but Jesus us. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, Hallelujah.
0: And sorrow songs. Is that what the spirituals were called?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm routinely
0: told. and and it does connote it connotes within the music, but it connotes something different from the title spiritual.
1: hmm Because they were exp- the expression of the great pain and the sorrow, but at the same time they were always looking upward.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They were always reaching. There was always some level of hope, as opposed to the concept of the blues. The blues was just singing about your troubles, and there was no hope. But there's always a glory hallelujah someplace saying, oh, and on that glory hallelujah, then we fly. So in the midst of the night, we can fly away to freedom while we're singing these these songs. This is another. pilgrim of sorrow down in this wide world alone no hope have I for tomorrow
0: I've started to make heaven my home I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today, experiencing the hidden stories, meanings, and hope of the spiritual. This is one of our earliest and most beloved shows with the late singular musician and humanitarian Joe Carter.
1: Called heaven, and I've started to make heaven my home.
0: It seems to be grounded in the experience of sorrow, mm-hmm. but making a connection with that, between that and the larger human spirit and the larger experience of God, which is not just about the sorrow.
1: Yeah. I, I think that the sorrow became the entrance, the open door, into these, a whole new world of experience. Um, they, the slaves could not experience the normal world. They couldn't go out and go shopping. They couldn't buy a house. They couldn't do all the things that the normal white person did. They were slaves. You know? They were whipped, and they had chains. And they found a secret door to take them into that world where the tears are wiped away.
0: But the tears are cried first, aren't they? Yeah. You know, you talked about the, the secret power of these songs, and, and I think so much of what we're learning now in our advanced day is how important it is to embrace suffering mm-hmm. in life in order to move forward. Yeah. And maybe they did not have a choice.
1: No, they did But didn't.
0: it's almost like there's healing in that moment even though it doesn't take the pain away, you know? There's
1: and that's one reason I think that African-American religion and culture has become so powerful in the world. One of the things that I think about when I think about this body of music, I, I realized that it was the foundation for most other american music right. <laughs> you know and and this music has changed the face of music in the 20th century and the story behind the creation of the spirituals it's really it's a miraculous story normally when you hear the story of african-american music in a documentary or something you go back to ella fitzgerald or Louis armstrong yeah and i say well that's that's great but you, if you really want to know the story behind the story find out who louis grandmother was and what she was singing What were the songs he'd learned when he was a baby? And what what were the messages of those songs? And And the thing that we find is that in the midst of all of the most horrible pain, some of these powerful individuals lived transcendent, shining lives. They were able to rise up above. I mean, they were able to be loving and forgiving in the midst of it all. Mammy was taking care of Master's baby. It was Mammy not master's wife that was nursing that little baby. Mammy could have poisoned the child. She could have smothered the child. But she loved that child like it was her own child. Because there was something in her faith that said, you're supposed to be loving. (laughs) You're supposed to be kind. You're supposed to be forgiving. And there's no excuse if you are not. We have songs like, uh, the the interesting thing, you don't find mean-spirited sentiments in the spirituals. They're the most noble sentiments. Now, you, you find a song like this. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, not the preacher, not the deacon, not the doctor, not the lawyer, not the master. Wait a minute. These are people who were victims. They were in the midst of the most horrible situation, but they said, I'm taking responsibility for who I am today. And it's me standing in the lead. I'm the one that has the proud heart today. Come and fix me. OK, and again, I mean, you know. I mean,
0: this is not only sound theology and psychology. It's extremely mature spirituality, right? Yeah. What was it that, that came together in the lives and the spiritual sensibility of those slaves that, that connected them so powerfully to, really, those are the best attributes of Christianity that Mm -hmm. you're talking about. They're not often practiced. You know, James Weldon Johnson talked about this as, you know, the verging of the spirit of Christianity with the vestiges of African music or or an Mm -hmm. African sensibility. I mean, do you have any ideas about what made that such a special fusion?
1: Well, I've thought about it a lot. Yeah. And and one thing that uh, occurs to me if we go back to to the cultures of the slaves that came from many different African nations and languages, but one thing they had in common was they believed in a supreme deity. But they believed he was very busy and very, very holy, and in order to get to him, you had to go through the ancestors. It wasn't very dissimilar to the way Europeans felt with the saints and so on. When slavery took place, and there was also this, this concept that you commune with deity with magic shining songs. Hmm. If your songs come forth with great fervor, you not only reach deity, but deity comes and possesses you, becomes part of you and gives you the strength to do whatever you've got to do to win your battles, to harvest your crop. And when people were taken suddenly as slaves, when they were literally kidnapped from their normal lives, whatever those lives were, they were taken away from the land of their ancestors. The spirit of the ancestors couldn't cross the water. And so when they were taken on these boats away from their homes, they experienced the most deep desolation possible because not only were they being removed from their friends and kindred, but they were being removed from their God. And they had no way to get to God because the ancestors were way back in Africa on the land. And I imagine when the slaves heard about this Jesus. Now, the, the master's religion, first of all, you got to realize this. They were not impressed by the master's Christianity, may I say?
0: Well, right. I mean, this <laughs> yeah. is why it's even surprising to yeah. me that they adopted Christianity. Exactly,
1: because they saw all of the brutality, they saw all the hypocrisy and, and were the, the brunt of it. But they heard about this Jesus, this man of sorrow who suffered. And, and they identified, they thought, and then they were told that Jesus is... The son of the high God, no wait, okay. the son of the high God. Mm. We can get to the high God through this guy. All right. And his story sounds like our story. He's born in terrible circumstances. He's mistreated. He's finally abused and killed. My goodness, maybe he will carry us to the high God.
0: After a short break, more conversation and song with Joe Carter. Subscribe to On Being on Apple Podcasts to listen again anytime and discover everything we create. Watch your feed in coming days. We're going to be releasing the songs Joe is singing this hour for you to download. They were never made available as an album in his lifetime. Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving
1: world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org.
0: I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today, for the anniversary of Joe Carter's death, we're returning to my 2003 conversation with him, one of our very first shows and one of our most beloved. Joe embodied the beauty, sorrow, and hidden meanings within the spirituals, songs composed by nameless bards in slavery, and yet a tradition that gave us gospel, blues, jazz, and hip-hop. Were their songs reaching back to the ancestors? Do, do you think they felt that also, that old belief that was, that was planted in them, of their songs reaching to God? I think
1: in the early days of slavery, yes, because for a long time there were a lot of um, ancestors from Africa who were still there on the plantations, you know, mm-hmm. and so the, they got that sense. Uh, for example, with, with uh, Mary McLeod Bethune, her grandmother came over from Africa, you know, with two sisters, and she remembered songs and stories and, and sang those songs to the children now nobody in my family now remembers any of the songs but we have the stories of her singing the songs to the children and so on and part of the songs were it was through the songs that the faith was transmitted
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know
0: that's i mean it's really it's it's taking the story whole and passing it on it's a pretty good bible study
1: and then um you know the story of slavery
0: yeah The Exodus, you mean being captive in a foreign land. Of the Jews
1: in Egypt. Yes. And so you know, go down Moses, way down to Egypt land, and tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. Yeah. And sometimes I imagine how some of those songs were used, and I imagine someone on on the plantation, the the master, who is always very happy when he hears the slaves singing. Cause he knows where they are, he knows they're not escaping as long as he can hear them. An old master comes out one day. He says, "Hey Joe, big Joe, I don't hear nobody singing down there. You guys, strike me up one of them good old spiritual songs. You know how I like them. Give me one of them good old songs." And you <laughs> know, and often when I go to the school children, I have them sing with me. I say, "Okay, now pretend you're going to be. You're all slaves, okay?" And and master wants us to sing a song, but you, we don't really want to sing for master, do we? No, no, we don't. I said, well, I'll tell you something. The master loves our singing, but he doesn't listen to the words we say. He doesn't have a clue what we're saying. So we can say anything we want. So let's give the master a good old song.
0: What do you sing with the kids?
1: When Israel was in Egypt land, let my people go, oppressed so hard they could not stand. Let my people go. Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt's land, and tell old Pharaoh, Let my people go. And after we go through the song, I say, Hey, old master, how was that one? <laughs> <laughs> one of the connections also that I, I learned about that period of time from my grandparents was my grandfather was a storyteller. And he would regale the the family every time we were together with slavery stories. I mean, that's what he always Hmm. talked about. And there was a slave by the name of John, who was the star of all of these stories.
0: Right.
1: And you never knew whether the story was true or not, but it was always funny, and it got your attention, and Grandpa was a good storyteller. But there was always a moral at the end of the story. But the one theme that went through all of these stories was the end of the story was that John had outsmarted the master. He was always ahead of the master. So there was this concept, the master doesn't really understand us. Um, we play a role for him, and he sees us in a certain way, and we'll play that role as much as we can so that we won't get whooped. So we've got to understand his thinking, but he can never understand our thinking. And so the spirituals were all, all of the spirituals, all of the songs were masks. hmm As well as, you know, these transcendent, wonderful moments, they were also um, signals for escape. Um, For example, we've got to do another song, (laughs) (laughs) which goes right along with what I was just.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good.
1: This was one of my grandmother's favorite songs. Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus, I've got to steal. He calls me by the thunder, the trumpet sounds within my soul. And I ain't got long to stay. Green trees are bending, sinner stands a trembling. The trumpet sounds within my soul, and I ain't, I ain't got long to stay, to stay here. It's like you, you get into the stream of that living water, yeah. And there's no past, present, and future. It's just right now, and right now, everything is all right. Yeah. You know, there's a story about Elijah. I think, and um, the woman whose son uh, died, and she had received this son in a special, as a miracle, actually. And the prophet told her that she was going to have this son at a certain time, and she did. And the son dies, and she says, send for the man of God, send for that prophet. And Elijah sends his servant, she says, no, 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 I want to see the man. Now you gave me the promise, I had the child, and my child has died, I'm having a tragedy right now. And when Elijah rode, coming close to her, he said, woman, how is it with thee? She said, it is well with my soul. (laughs) <laughs> and there is something that you can find even today in those, especially the older people who really have faith. You say, how are you doing? And you just see that smile. And, and it doesn't say that I'm doing okay. It doesn't say that everything's okay in my life. Sometimes they'll say I'm blessed. Sometimes they'll say it is well. You know. So the sense of well-being does not depend on whether things are good or bad or up or down. Because if we had to live that way as slaves, we would constantly be buried underneath the ground because the circumstances were so horrible and so bad, we had to find, as I say, that secret door.
0: Hmm. Mm -hmm. We talked about how there was this subversive power of the words of the spirituals saying things which really contradicted the the interests of the masters for example but also i think there There were more overt codes and real practical references in some of the spirituals. And give me an example of that where there was almost this secret language. Steal away to Jesus. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And and when someone said, I ain't got long to stay everybody knew, hey, I'm going to be escaping tonight and I want you to be supporting me. Someone is going to meet us on the other side of the river. Green trees are bending post, oh, sinist, danza, trembling. And maybe they had a signal where someone would shake a leaf in a, a branch of a tree across the river, and, and, and you'd go on to safety to the Underground Railroad, hopefully. Um, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Um, I looked over, Jordan, what did I wait, see? Wait, wait,
0: wait, swing low, sweet chariot. What's going on there that's not overt?
1: Well, first, the swing low, sweet chariot was a death song, right. as most of them were in some way. Yeah. And it was often sung when a child died. And it was a way to evoke one's dignity, to say, even though I'm a slave of God, has to send a golden chariot down from the sky. I'm going to have dignity. My child's going to have dignity. I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. But then later you get, um, if you get there before I do, tell all my friends I'm coming up there too. (laughs) (laughs) And so the master never knew what they were singing about. I did
0: not know that.
1: (laughs) And so I think at some point someone realized, maybe I don't have to die in order to have a little heaven. Right. Freedom. And, of course, um, they thought that if they got to the Mason-Dixon line and crossed, they would have true freedom. And then, unfortunately, they got across the Mason-Dixon line and still found there was oppression. And found that somehow they had to revert back to the original spiritual meanings of the song because <laughs> the political meanings never delivered them. Mm. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low. Sweet chariot, I said it's coming for to carry me home. Well, I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. Well, it was a bad of angels coming after me coming for to carry me home if you get to them before i do coming for to carry me home tell all my friends i'm coming up there too coming for to carry me home why don't you swing low, sweet chariot Coming for to carry me home Oh, swing low, sweet chariot Oh, it's coming for to carry me home It's coming for to carry me home Oh, it's coming for to carry
0: I can do a much more whimsical listen, knowing what you just told me about what was some of the practicalities and codes behind that.
1: And I think there was so many of the songs, um, even Wade in the Water, God's going to trouble the water. Um, another image of people going to the river to be baptized and also going to the river to escape to freedom. And the story was that a certain season, the angels would come and trouble the water, as they say, which I don't know, they put their wings in or their toenails or whatever, but (laughs) whatever happened, once they touched the waters, if you got in the water and you were sick, you'd be healed. And so here's this guy. Um, 38 years he's been going, and Jesus comes by and says, what's your problem? He says, can't you see I'm, I'm a lame man? And every time the, the angels come to trouble the water, somebody gets in before me. And Jesus said, do you want to be healed? Well, yes, of course I do. Then take up your bed and walk. They loved this story because this was about self-sufficiency. We are not victims. We're powerful individuals, and we, we are people of faith. And so they sang, uh, let me just do a little bit of that song. Yeah. Wait in the water, Wait in the water children, Wade in the water, God's gonna trouble the water who's that a yonder dressed in white god's gonna trouble the water well it must be the people called the israelites god's gonna trouble the water children wait in the water wait God's gonna trouble the water. Well, who's that yonder dressed in red? God's gonna trouble the water. Oh, it must be the people that Moses led. God's gonna trouble the water. Children, wait in the water. Wait in the water, children, wait. Gonna travel, gonna travel the war, the water.
0: What this makes me think of is how the politics of freedom mm-hmm. um, can actually distract from this inner freedom and dignity which the slaves possessed and which we find. So expressed in its music, and, and even maybe today. In, in the
1: same sense that sometimes religion can distract from spirituality.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You get a structure, a you form. You get a structure, right. you get a program, and somehow, after a while, the real thing is as elusive as a, is the Holy Grail.
0: Right, and and you can lose this sense that these slaves who created this music obviously had that at every, every moment they were full of grace, right? all was well with their souls, no matter what was going on around them, no matter what rights they had or what their legal status was.
1: No, it, it, it must be said that there were certainly slaves who were trying to escape, um, slaves who were um, willing to um, get involved in revolution and um, insurrection and so on. But I think the larger community had a spiritual identity that, that guided them.
0: And we have to be so careful not to be glorifying slavery, right? Or That's, yeah. glorifying. <clears throat> so what are we talking about here? You know, what are we getting I at? I think
1: what we're talking about is human suffering. And how do we survive when the worst happens? What are the mechanisms? And I think that African Americans have shown the world... And other peoples have done it too, other peoples are doing it all the time, and it's the same process, it doesn't matter who the people are, it doesn't matter whether the song is an actual song of notes and music, um, or whether it's uh, the, the spirit of a people expressed in um, some other way, but you find, for example, when I sing these songs, um, I can sing Motherless Child in Siberia, they know what it means, they've been through hell. I can go to Scotland and Ireland and Wales and sing these They Understand the Sentiments. As a matter of fact, you go to, to Wales right now, you'll find African American spirituals in Welsh, in the Welsh hymn book. Part of their worship. You know. So the songs have become symbolic, I think, of that universal quest for freedom, that yearning for freedom, and that part of us that says, I will not be defeated. Let me do a little bit of motherless child. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll do this one. Um.
0: That's the one I was humming at my computer this morning oh, as I was really? making notes for this. I'm not sure why.
1: Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, oh Lord. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, a long ways from a home.
0: Krista Tippett, and this is on Being. Today, experiencing the hidden stories, meanings, and hope of the spiritual. This is one of our earliest and most beloved shows with the late singular musician and humanitarian Joe Carter.
1: Sometimes I feel like I'm almost gone.
0: The paradox of the spirituals in their context of slavery was that they gave themselves over in some sense to to suffering and to the hardness of life and to, to really to an essential powerlessness. you know this this is where we are, this is where we live. And but there was an and and I am beloved, I'm graced, I am blessed, I have dignity, I'm alive. And what I experience now is not all there is, right? You know, there's there's a surrender and there's an incredible power at the same time in the spirituals, and I don't know when life is sort of halfway better. <laughs> maybe the surrender goes away and the power is diminished too. Does that? Am I making any yeah, sense? Yeah, I, I think. I, what it's, is,
1: you know, that that's one of the horrible problems that we have to deal with with the, the whole issue of, of, of progress. Right. You know, because <clears throat> in the process we may lose something. But you know something, because I've been living with these songs. These songs have become the strength of my life, because I realize even though I am not in slavery, as my grandparents or great-grandparents were, I deal with all the difficulties of life that everybody, nobody escapes.
0: No, and even somebody who's perfectly free and perfectly rich and perfectly powerful in the world's terms doesn't escape from suffering, right?
1: That's right. And bondage, the worst kind of bondage, is that which takes place on the inside, you know? And when we look back to the slavery days, we were bound but it was the master who was really the slave. And I think some of us understand that now. But I I experience in my own life great strength from telling the stories and looking back because I see what they went through. And I haven't experienced anything like what my ancestors did. And I complain about everything.
0: (laughs) Um, I wonder if it is at all disturbing to you that this music with its sensibility has you know, is considered now to be a defining part of American culture as a whole. I mean, you could say maybe that it's been co-opted, embraced. Does that bother you? Because that necessarily takes it out of its context, doesn't it? I mean, is it okay for a white person to celebrate this as much as...
1: Well, I think it's a good question. And, um, and my answer is this. When any music or art becomes this transcendent thing, that helps people through, it, it then becomes the property of the universe. It becomes the property of the world. And to tell the story of the spiritual, it's not an African story. It is an African-American story. It's the blending of the two cultures. And the fact that um, George Gershwin was influenced greatly by the spirituals, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing that this man could reach out of his neighborhood go down to South Carolina and listen to the elders sing and come back and say, this is a treasure. <laughs> and then translate that through his genius and give to the world as so many others have. And I mean, even there are many European composers like Dvorak who were influenced by this music. And today, I think it's true with any kind of art, there has to be the sensitivity of the person who is observing and participating. And Some people don't get it no matter what you do. (laughs) And there are other people, you don't have to say anything. They get it from the get-go. you know. And I think that one of the things I would say about the development of African-American music and culture, the powers that be found it much more attractive to promote the blues and to promote the image of the black man singing the blues with a bottle of wine in his back pocket, singing about less than noble sentiments while we had this whole treasure. And the Paul Robesons and the Marian Andersons and others who came and brought this music forth, they didn't make the big commercial successes. Well, Robeson and and Anderson did for a while, but they are among the few. In order to make a commercial success, you've got to sing soul. You've got got to get away from anything that is spiritual and change the message. Soul as
0: opposed to spiritual. Yeah. That's interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I, I just have a certain personal feeling about it, because we still have a problem, because there are still people who don't want to tell the truth about who we are. And if the truth is really told, then you've got to go back and tell the story of the love and the forgiveness and the power of many of the ancestors. They weren't all loving and forgiving. I mean, some of them were mean-spirited. Some of them, you know, did whatever they had to do, I'm sure. But as a, a national identity, this music became the embodiment of a spirit of goodwill, a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of I'm going to survive no matter what.
0: Mm, dignity. I mean, that's, that's a word yeah, that keeps coming yeah, up. Yeah,
1: yeah. And by the way, this woman that I told you about, Jesse Anthony, she was the most dignified soul I'd ever met. The last time I saw her, she was, I think, 88 years old. Her parents were born slaves. And she began to sing the spiritual. She, began, she sang in Boston Public Library. She sang at Harvard, demonstrating the music. She said, (laughs) Joe, I said, yes, Miss Anthony, she said, I want you to go into my bedroom and look under my bed and tell me what you see there. And so I went in her bed. I said, you got a suitcase? (laughs) She said, yes, I do, child. I said, what's in the suitcase? And she smiled. She beamed at me. She said, in that suitcase, I've got my going home clothes. Oh, I got a beautiful dress in there. Jesus is coming for me any day, don't you know, child? And she just started laughing. I'll never forget that image. Here was someone who had gone through all of the changes in culture and society and now was living in an elder apartment complex in Boston, all of her children in Washington, D.C. and everything. And she was still singing her songs and she was holding her head up high every place she went. You know, she was the kind of person who just commanded your respect. And when the young people, whenever we'd go to her house, she would tell us the stories of these songs and everything. And then she would always end singing one little song. Give me a seat, Tom. And she'd sing. Children, if you don't remember anything I've told you, if you don't remember any songs that I've sung for you, I want you to remember this one. Be ready when he comes Be ready when he comes Be ready when he comes Oh, Lord, he's coming again so soon Now, Joe, you be ready, don't
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Joe Carter.
1: It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Let the work that I've done Speak for me Let the work that I've done speak for me. When I come to the end of this road and I lay down this old heavy load, let the work that I've done speak for me.
0: Joe Carter was a teacher, performer, and traveling humanitarian. He died at the age of 57 of leukemia on June 26, 2006.
1: Let the life that I've lived, Lord, speak for me When I come to the end of this road and I lay down this heavy load. Let
0: the On Being is Chris Hegel, Lily Percy, Mariah Helgeson, Maya Tarrell, Marie Sambalay, Aaron Farrell, Lauren Dordal, Let Tony Liu, Bethany Iverson, Aaron Colosaco, Kristen Lin, Idowu, Casper Ter Kyle, Angie Thurston, Let Sue Phillips, Eddie Gonzalez, Lillian Vo, Damon Lord, Lee, and Jeffrey Basoli. Special thanks this week to Tom West and Tom Mudge. Our lovely theme music is provided and composed by Zoe Keating. And the last voice you hear singing our final credits in each show is hip-hop artist Lizzo. On Being was created at American Public Media. Our funding partners include the George Family Foundation in support of the Civil Conversations Project. The Fetzer Institute, helping to build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Find them at Fetzer.org. Calliopeia Foundation, working to create a future where universal spiritual values form the foundation of how we care for our common home. Humanity United, advancing human dignity at home and around the world. Find out more at HumanityUnited.org, part of the Omidyar Group. The Henry Luce Foundation, in support of public theology reimagined. The Osprey Foundation, a catalyst for empowered, healthy, and fulfilled lives. And the Lilly Endowment, an Indianapolis-based private family foundation dedicated to its founders' interests in religion, community development, and education.
1: On Being is distributed by PRX, the public
0: radio exchange, and is a Christa Tippett public production.